Assalamu alaikum everyone. Do join me on this brand new podcast where I'll be speaking to Heretic. It's an amazing conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. Assalamu alaikum Heretic, how are you doing? Wa alaikum assalam sis, I'm good, how are you doing? I'm very well, very well. Thank you so much again for joining me on this um, podcast. Uh, we'll be talking about you <laughs> so let me kind of kick it off with um, why you're known as Heretic. Where did that name come from? What kind of inspired you? Uh, so basically, I wanted to get away from being called by my real name. I just wanted to sort of to separate myself from the artist that I am. And I know many creatives would understand that. Like, I just think that, I mean, both people are the same person. I'm me and Heretic is me, but I like to separate the two. I like to sort of just be able to shut out from heretic and spend time with my family, spend time with friends. So I, you know, went down to the drawing board and I was thinking, what shall I call myself? What shall I call myself? What shall I call myself? And everyone on the poetry sort of scene or um, the spoken word scene, as, as some people would know it, know me as the sort of dark writer. I always have that, a dark element of writing. Um, I like to refer to mental health as demons and stuff like that. Hence, I've been given the nickname, the dark writer. So I wanted to encompass that, but I also wanted to encompass something that I am in myself. And I, I just sort of was just thinking of words and then the word heretic came to me. And I was like, oh, this sounds quite cool. And I spoke to one of my friends, Annotate, who is another uh, spoke, uh, artist, spoken word artist. Um, and he was like, oh, I like it. Um, but it's got a bit of a funny meaning, don't you think? And I was just like, oh, what, what do you mean? And he was like, bro like have you not you know used a dictionary to see what it means and i was like oh um i have but i don't understand and then i got what he meant so basically heretic has dual meanings right one of them is that sort of anti-religion sort of an anti-christ sort of thing which is what definition everyone knows but there's also another definition to it and the other definition of it is someone that holds an opinion that is what is greater accepted now that's the definition that fits me well like even within sort of my own cultural background to certain religious things, I do sort of question things. I wouldn't just be like, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so has said this, so I'm going to do it. I would question it. I'd be like, mm, but is this right? I wouldn't just be a sheep if you would. I would. I want to make my own decisions from my understandings, as well as taking on people's um, points. I wouldn't disregard people if they are right. I would admit if I'm right. But most of the times I am seen as someone that goes against what is greater accepted, mainly within my sort of South Asian community background, basically. So that's why I literally chose Heretic, as well as it's a conversation starter. When someone has the name Heretic, that's like, oh, wh wh why do you call yourself Heretic? Like, and then it's just a good way of sort of, sort of breaking the ass. It's a little joke, like, oh, well, why do you think I'm called Heretic? And it's like, um, 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 and they kind of shake on it. But then I go into explain to them. So I, I, I like the name Heretic. I think it fits me quite well, fits my personality quite well, and fits my writing very well as well, I think. Lovely. Um, great explanation. I think um, you touched on the kind of work that you do and the poet that you are. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that started um, in terms of, you know, can you tell us how old you were when that interest kind of developed? Why do you think it developed? Um, so when I first started writing, it was before I was heretic. It was oh, going back to my early teens, I think at a time where it was very difficult for a male to be talking about mental health 
I mean, if a, if a male at the time, I mean, it still happens, don't get me wrong, but people are a little bit more understanding than they were back when I was an early teen, um, which was about, what, 10 years ago or so. Um, like people would say the words, you know, man up or something. So I needed a way to express myself and that way was through writing. So when I first started writing, funnily enough, I used to write in character form. So I would talk about my sort of feelings through, and I know it sounds funny, I used to talk about my feelings through the character of a woman because people at the time would relate more to a woman going through mental health problems than a guy would. So I started uploading and I was this anonymous sort of account and people just, people sympathized with me. No one knew who I was, but people were like, oh, you know, whoever you wrote about, that, you know, may Allah make it easy, I hope she's okay. But it was a way of me talking about myself through another character. And then as I slowly sort of started writing, I was like, you know what, this is all me. And I started getting a little bit more comfortable to speak out about myself. I, I think my poetry, and my writing sort of gave me the confidence that I lacked a lot because I was always the guy growing up that was kind of pushed to the side, your voice isn't important. I think poetry gave me the, the voice that I sort of lacked in my sort of own life and it made people listen to me because otherwise I felt like unless I wasn't doing it in a poetic form, people wouldn't take notice to me. People, I would just be the guy in the back of the room and when that's how I pretty much grew that? up. When did you realise that if I do it through poetry, maybe people will listen more? Um, was it was it somebody that encouraged you or how did it happen? I think it just kind of came to me. I, I like fun, funnily enough, um, I've, I think every well a lot of teens at that age of like you know thirteen, fourteen, they want to be like the next Tupac or the next biggest rapper. And I think it kind of came from that. Like oh, I want to be a rapper. And I was you know chilling with my boys and I was like yeah yeah let's make some bars and stuff like that, which were horrible at the time. Uh, like no talent there whatsoever. I think that's what piqued my interest. But then I wanted to be a little bit different. I was just like, mm, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I want to be different. And I thought, I want to do it for myself. I don't really care how people react to it. I just want to be able to just sort of, you know how you sort of scream into a pillow? Mm -hmm. And even though you're screaming into a pillow, you muffle that sound. That's what poetry was to me. I just wanted to scream. And I didn't care if anyone can hear me. I just wanted to scream to the top of my lungs of how I'm feeling where I would get judged. But if I was to get judged, I don't care. Cause I could just say, it's just poetry. Doesn't mean anything. And I think that's what sort of made me go into what I went into. Mm. And in those younger years, did you start properly performing? Did your, did your family know of your interests? When did that kind of happen? Ah, uh, see that, that's always been a, a touch and go one. So I've been on and off in terms of performing. Mm. Uh, Believe it or not, I get really bad stage confidence. So mm -hmm. even now, like I go up on stage and I feel sick. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm about to throw up. My stomach starts churning. Um, I think that's the most difficult thing about being a spoken word artist. So it kind of, I think the first time I probably performed publicly was 16, 17. I think I performed first then. Then I kind of came off it. Then I came back and it was a, sort of staggering little mountain. Sometimes I'd come to the top, sometimes I'll go down again, sometimes I'll go up again, and sometimes I'll go down. I found it really difficult to be the sort of centre of attention because I would just get so flustered being the centre of attention because, it, again, it wasn't something that I'm used to. From a guy that feels, or from a teen, that felt like he wasn't the main person in the room to all eyes on you. It was something that I found very difficult to get used to, and it's still something I'm not used to till this day. It, but I'm slowly getting better at it. But I think it started at 16, but I think I, I think I fully started to sort of be on the spotlight, if you will, 
at the age of 20. I think it was at the age of 20, I started to take things a lot more seriously. I started to invest time into my craft, but that was also because of other things that I was going through in my personal life. I needed an outlet again and poetry was the thing. And that's when I just started, I'm going to continue this poetry thing and I'm not going to let go of it because that's my therapy at the moment. You mentioned that um, you express yourself through your poetry and through your writing and that it was therapy. Um, what do you think it helped you with? Was there, um, was there a diagnosed psychological thing going on with you or was it not diagnosed and, and you were using poetry as a form of kind of therapy for yourself? So when, when I initially started, I sort of didn't know what was wrong with me. Like I just constantly felt sad. Again, depression wasn't a word that was really used back then. Um, so I didn't know that I was feeling depressed. I just thought mm, maybe I'm sad. And that all stemmed from, uh, you know, the death of my granddad, sort of, he was the most important figure of my life at the time. And when he passed, I felt like a sort of piece of me went with him. I felt like the person who I was most important to, he kind of left and now I don't feel important anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, I just thought I was sad for majority of my life. It's only at a later stage I was like, no, this isn't normal. I'm going through things. And sometimes I'm not going through things, but even on the days that I'm not going through things and I should be happy, I'm not really happy. Mm -hmm. And I think much later on, I'll say by 17, 18, I think I've always been on and off with the sort of GP kind of saying, you know, I'm having this. I mean, I was, I'll be honest in saying I wasn't always very truthful with my GP in how bad things were and he would always tell me to go therapy and i'll be honest with the viewers i've never actually been able to go through with therapy that's why i have a lot of respect for people that do go through therapy um i have a lot of respect for people that you know have been able to do things whether that's group therapy one-to-one -one, counseling it takes a lot of strength and i think people underestimate that um, it's something that i haven't been able to do but again the reason why i have had to go through that is because alhamdulillah you know i have a right now and at the time when my my own depression was bad um i had a great circle around me they were a circle that would listen to me so i i did have an outlet to speak to i didn't feel so alone all the time felt alone sometimes but i had people that i was able to speak to and for me that felt like group therapy to me that's how i envisioned group therapy to be so that's why i never sort of went down group therapy route but again I think it takes a lot of strength. I've been so close to doing it and then I kind of just step away from it. Mm. So honestly, respect to any of the viewers that are doing group therapy, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Did you ever consider or take um, uh, other forms of therapy that wasn't group therapy, for example, medication? Um, see, with medication, I was always scared of side effects. I've always kind of tried to stay away from medication. Um, I, I had like the natural stuff. Uh, there's a tablet, called calms which has valerian uh, extract roots which is a sort of natural remedy for anxiety and i've taken that on times when i felt like it was really bad um i again i went to my gp and i told him about my anxiety and my sleep disturbances and he gave me a drug called amitriptyline mm -hmm. um, which to this day i still have like i haven't used it i just didn't feel comfortable to do it because i was a little bit skeptical about the side effects again not everyone will get side effects but for me it was a personal thing of you know what i want to try and do it without the medication route um, 
if I need to, then you know what, the next time I do have an episode, mm-hmm. I am going to, I am going to push through and I'm going to do therapy. And if therapy doesn't work, then I'm going to go down the medicinal route. Um, I do know the medicinal route can help a lot of the times. I do know people that are on it and Alhamdulillah, like it's working for them. They're doing a lot better as well as in my career of pharmacy. I do see a lot of people on it and Alhamdulillah, like I can see the change in them. And it's, it is an amazing thing to see someone come from such darkness to having a simple thing as a smile on their face and medication can do that. Um, I think for me, the main thing of therapy for me was the sort of writing and having an amazing circle around me. And I'll say Alhamdulillah for that every day. Absolutely. Um, So at the time when you're experiencing these episodes, as you mentioned, um, who else knew about it apart from your kind of immediate family? Um, What I'm trying to get at is, did you feel any kind of stigma towards you because of how you were feeling? Um, Funnily enough, enough, when it first started, my family didn't know. Mm. Like, I'll be honest in saying, I think I actually told my parents by the time I was 20. Uh, or 21 I think 21 I believe I told uh, my father first then I told my mom um, there there was a lot of stigma around me because um, at 18 alhamdulillah I was on a spiritual high if you will so I was very firm on my being I was doing a lot of things actively within the Muslim community I'm not going to go too much into that but when my mental health declined by the age of 18 I believe um, my dean declined with it you know i got lit, like anyone that does go through depression anxiety stuff like that they do know that it's hard to get out of bed so sometimes i would miss prayers because i just can't get out of bed and i would stop going to all the extracurricular activities that i would go to um, within the community and a lot of people and then i kind of started again to pray but then i was still depressed and i was still sad and i felt as though the people of that time they were still blaming, they kept blaming the sort of depression for my lack of being. Like, I think that's the biggest problem that a lot of people have. They think that whenever someone is going through trials and they're going through depression or anxiety or any mental health related um, symptoms, they think it's automatically because of a decline of spirituality and and they couldn't have been more wrong. Sometimes there are people that are spiritually high, they're praying, they're reading Quran, but there's still something missing in their heart. They still feel upset. Like someone could be praying five times a day. Someone could be reading Quran for hours on end, giving zakat every day. But hypothetically speaking, if they were to lose their parents, it would, it would hit them hard. They would be very sad and that could lead to depression. Would you then say that that person is going for a spiritual love? No, it's because they have befallen a certain tragedy that has made them feel that certain way. I think we need to get out of that stigma of, you're going through depression because you're not praying or you're displeasing Allah. I think that's a very horrible thing to say to someone that is going through someone or that you are going through this because you are displeasing God. Because I I, I don't think God is vengeful. Like we're taught that, you know, God is the most merciful. So how is it that the creation is telling me that God isn't as merciful as his attributes are? So I think for me, the main thing is people need to, get out of that habit of telling you you're lacking spiritually. I think there needs to be a better understanding of it. I think there needs to be more communication with the people because you, if you find out the reason behind someone's depression, I think that's the better way of helping them as opposed to saying, 
you're doing this, this is wrong. It doesn't help anyone. Mm. Um, so are you talking from experience there where did people say that to you or did you kind of feel it as a, as a tension that people were judging you in the community? Because you mentioned you were active, you were doing these things within the community. I'm assuming within the Muslim community in particular, maybe you went to mosque and other things that were happening. Um, was it, you know, those people around you that actually you felt judged by? Um, I'll be honest in actually saying, yes, I did go through it personally. It was a very hard time in my life. Um, I think I lost maybe 90% of my friends when I sort of declined. Because when I declined, yes, I was that brother that was wearing the thobe to them being this brother that was wearing piercings. I mean, I had so many piercings, I'll be honest. And I'll touch onto something else of, and it's a trigger warning that I'm giving to the viewers now of the topic of self-harm. Um, piercings was a statement as it started that then led on to a sort of being my own character to then being a form of self-harm. Like whenever I would go through something, that's it. I'll go to my piercer, Sam, pierce me. It got to a stage of I had 27 piercings through my body. Don't mean just through my earrings. I had it all over my arms. I still see people talk about scars. Like my scars are here. Like I have like four little scars there. I've got four scars here. Those are my scars. Um, and when I went through that state of piercing, because I just felt like that was taking power into my own hands. Um, that's how I felt when I was sort of self-harming, if you will. I lost a lot of people. I became very lonely. So yeah, it is something that I faced. I lost 90%. Or, uh, yeah, I think it was about 90% actually. Now that I think about it, I lost 90% of my friends because most of my friends were in the same sort of background as me where they were doing active um, dawa work and stuff like that. So when I obviously started declining, as opposed to them sort of finding out what was going through, through me, they just sort of shunned me away. And at the time I was going through so much, like um, anyone that knows me knows my mother was severely ill at the time. Um, I went through an accident during the same period around that thing where, you know what, I say Alhamdulillah now, but I, I, I me and my, me and my, me and the people that, I'm not gonna say who it is, but the, me and the people that were in the car, we could have died, uh, but Alhamdulillah we didn't. Um, I went through a, a really hard heartbreak at the time as well from the girl that I was going to marry. I went through quite a bit and for people in the community where I was always taught growing up, these are my brothers, you know, this, we are one ummah. For them to turn their backs on me at my lowest stage, it hit me hard. And I tried to sort of come back from it. And I'll be honest in saying, um, when I was going, when I did have all my piercings, it didn't automatically mean I, I stopped praying. Um, and I would still go to Islamic events. And I'm not going to name the events because I just don't think that's fair. But I did go to certain Islamic events where I felt like I just wasn't welcomed. Like, I would come in and people would be like, I would salam people and they would give me dirty looks up and down. Not like, it's like, it's like almost like the shaitan had entered the, the event. Like they looked at me with absolute disgust and they were very unwelcoming. Um, 
But at the same time, as I went through that for almost a year, Alhamdulillah, like, I met a lot of other people. I met sheikhs that were the opposite of that, that were very welcoming, that didn't really care that I was going through that. Well, they did care and they advised me, but they advised me in a way that they weren't shunning me out from the community that I was sort of born into. They were like, you know what, we all go through these trials. So I feel as though each one of us, whether that's you, whether that's me, we're all sort of ambassadors of not just our faith, we're ambassadors, we're ambassadors of, you know, our culture. So we all have a part to play in welcoming each other. And it's like, people think, oh, just because one person treats you like that, it shouldn't reflect on that. But I, I will tell, you know, the listeners, and this is the first time I'm publicly admitting it like this, I ended up getting a really bad case of sort of um, religious PTSD. Like I found it so uncomfortable to go to an Islamic event. Like I would go there and I would feel sick. Like even talking about it now, just makes me want to sort of close up. Um, having people treat me the way that they treated me, it really made me close up. It made me feel really uncomfortable to go to Islamic events because I was always sort of having little thoughts in my head, like that person over there is judging you, that person over there is judging you. And it should never have been like that. I shouldn't feel like that in the first place where I no longer feel um, like I can't go to the events because that's not how events are supposed to be. That's not how we are supposed to be as a community. That's not how we are supposed to be in Islam, you know. But in recent times, things have slowly started changing. But again, I don't know if that's because I have removed my piercings or not that people don't sort of see me like that anymore. So I do still get the little thoughts in the back of my head. But at the same time, I've been to certain events and I've spoken to sheikhs and they've been the most welcoming people ever. They, they always tell me, you know, Aki, like we, we all go through things, you know, don't feel like you're any worse than the person sitting next to you your sins might be a little bit more apparent, but you don't know what they do behind closed doors. Like, don't, don't put yourself down in the dirt. Like, pick yourself up. You're still a Muslim. You, you still have that status of being a Muslim. You still have that status of you are a special person. So I think that slowly started making me feel a little bit more comfortable going back to Islamic events. But again, it's a journey for me. I'm still going through this journey. So it's something that I am getting a little bit better at every time I go to an event. Um, but on a side note, I do want to say cheeky little shout out to Inspirited Minds. You guys are generally one organization that never made me feel like that. Like, even when I did have piercings, you guys were so welcoming. Like, it was like, oh, heretics going to come. Yes, like, heretics are most like, amazing, most important person in the world. Like, you guys generally do look after everyone that comes here to your events. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you guys. Like, you are one organization that I have a lot of love for because of how welcoming you are to everybody. Doesn't matter what background they come from. And I think that's an amazing thing. And I think a lot of organizations, I think a lot of people need to take from that in terms of how they need to treat people because you guys do generally set an example to how we should be within our community, within our religion. Um, it makes me sad to hear that some of these... Um organizations that you have in mind or events that you've been to um where you just haven't felt welcomed at all and judged by people so much 
really big question. Why do you think there is so, so much stigma within the community? I think one, if you could think about answering in a way that encompasses Islam and which you have touched on anyway, but why is there so much stigma within the Islamic community? And then also stigma when it comes to your background as well. Unfortunately, with with race and color and all of that stuff my next question for you is to kind of go into why is there so much stigma within the islamic community and then also um why is there stigma when it comes to where you come from as well and your background and why are we so much so focused on appearance hmm. i i think from a religious standpoint a lot of people like i touched on uh, about an increase of mental health means a decline of spirituality as well as that I feel like a lot of people sort of relate depression to sort of like black magic or even gins like I, I've heard it all like a lot of people say oh maybe someone's done something to you I think that's a big stigma that plays for a lot of people from a cultural perspective I think because our elders like they have gone through a lot I'm not gonna lie they, they have struggled for us to live so comfortably as com as comfortable as we are living now i think there's that thing of i went through it and i'm no most i'm not special more special than you why can't you do it like i think there's that sort of a cultural thing of i can do it my parents can do it their parents could do it why can't you like it's almost like you going through depression it's almost like a sort of you're sort of um what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you're a disgrace to the community. I, I feel as though when you, when you do openly say that you have um, any sort of mental health illness, whether that is depression or whether that's eating disorders or things like that, you are made to feel like you're disgraced, like, you know, have some shame, like, why are you like this? And I think uh, for a lot of us, we're scared to sort of speak about it. There's, there, because there are sort of expectations of us religiously, there are expectations of us culturally. And when we fail to sort of um, fit into that, because you know, we've heard it from our parents that you know, depression isn't real. Like the amount of times that I've heard from elders, oh, depression isn't a thing. Like depression isn't a thing. And I'm just like, it is a thing. And they would argue with me literally like no it's not a thing they they fail to accept i think our, our culture the elders they they fail to accept that depression and mental health illnesses are a thing like to them what mental health illnesses is because i remember trying to sort of understand what their perception is so i spoke to a sort of elder and i asked him what his perception is and his perception was only the people that you know the ones that are in mental asylums that that's for him that's the only mental health that exists and if you're not that then you're saying there is no depression there is no anxiety there are no eating disorders it's just all in your head that's what our culture believes and they need to snap out of that mentality that it doesn't exist because it does exist it is on the rise and something needs to change otherwise it will continue to go on the rise um heretic these issues that we've talked about have you are you already kind of putting this into words in your poetry? Is it, is it something that you have or are wanting or are currently trying to make a change with, with your words? Yeah, so 
um, how I was saying at the start of the um, podcast episode, how I like to talk about demons and stuff. That's my personified version of what mental health is. And that comes from people saying that, oh, depression is, you know, gins, you know, depression is this, demons, devils. So I personified it. I've used that as a sort of creative way to talk about depression. I used my poetry to talk about how it feels to be depressed from my own personal understanding, as well as something that I've been trying to sort of do recently and inshallah with the future projects that I have planned is not only to outline the problems because I think it's good if you outline the problems if you start speaking about mental health but then you have this sort of support base that now understands what depression is and what mental health is but where do you go from there there needs to be a light at the end of the tunnel so that's the new sort of thing that I'm trying to do yes I'm going to highlight issues but I also need to give you a silver lining. I need to give you some sort of light where you're going to be heading. So a lot of my projects that I will be doing, uh, inshallah, in the next few months to then continue on to 2021 will be encompassing all of this. It will be very personal. It will be uplifting, inshallah. And, you know, like I'm always trying to sort of improve as a writer. I want to be able to work with people. I want to hear people's stories because... There are some things that, you know, I haven't gone through. Maybe someone else has gone through it. Maybe a brother out there has gone through something. Maybe a sister out there has gone through something. Um, like, and they're not able to speak about it because not everyone has the courage to speak about things. There are some things that you just want to keep close and you can just tell one person. But if you tell that one person and they can shed light onto that topic, then I think that gives them power because they no longer feel like they're alone. They have the power of a community. And that's exactly what I want to do. Like everyone says they want to leave behind a legacy with the artwork and their creativity and they want to leave a legacy behind. My legacy is and will always be that I want to sort of have that involvement in creating a community of like-minded people that are suffering through mental health that can be there for one another. Because, you know, there are people out there that don't get on with their family. There are people that don't have family. And I want them to know you do have a family your family might not be there in terms of blood, but their family by the bond that you guys hold with one another. And that's the sort of legacy I want to leave behind. I want to leave behind a community of people that, you know, if I was to pass away next week, if I was to pass away within the next year, I, just because, you know, heretics passed away, I don't want my supporters to be like, oh, we're going to go back to depression. Um, I want them to be there for one another. I want them, and that's what I do with, you know, I do do lives quite a bit um, and people enjoy them because, you know, they don't feel so alone and they can sort of banter about with each other and they sort of engage in another, with one another and they become friends. And I, I, and I like that because it means that if I was to go away, then they would still be there for one another. And I think it's almost like sort of parenting where you raise a child to know that they can look after themselves. So in a way, sort of, this whole thing is like my child that I'm trying to nurture in the most best way that I can. And yes, I won't get things right all the time and I may make mistakes all the time. You know, parenting isn't easy as they say, but I'm just enjoying the process. I'm enjoying the fruits that I'm, the fruit seeds that I'm planting and I'm hoping one day, inshallah, that I will get to see the fruits that do come from the trees that, of the seeds that I planted. But again, it's all up to the higher power if I do get to see that, but I hope they can also be a sort of means for me to enter paradise and be good rewards for me.
Um, you've already touched on this, but my next question is about what you would say to somebody, which I know you're already doing, to somebody that is actually struggling with their psychological well-being. Um, you've already touched on the fact that you have met people within the Muslim community, for example, sheikhs that have comforted you and given you um, help, really, with their compassion and their understanding. Um, so what would you say to somebody who maybe is in their teens and then somebody who might be an adult who is, who is struggling with their well-being psychologically? I think the main thing for me, like, that works well for me, I, I mean, I've tried a lot of different things, but one thing I do try to advise people is take the little victories. And what I mean by the little victories is if you're someone that's going through any psychological problem, uh, let's just for, firstly use depression as an example. And let's just say you didn't do nothing in the day, but you managed to get yourself out of bed. Now that is a victory because you could have stayed in bed all day. You managed to get up. That's a victory for someone that is, you know, starving themselves due to an eating disorder. If you were able to eat a meal, even if it was one little meal, like it could be the smallest things, it could be a packet of fruits. That is a victory. Stop overlooking your victories. I think we need to start loving the little things that we do for one another. Stop focusing on the little things that we do for one another. Even if it's just the smallest little victory, hold on to that victory. And that's your victory for the day. And look, and when tomorrow comes, hope that you're going to get even more victories than you did today. And you slowly build this thing of having that positive mindset of you're going to take a victory home every day. You're going to take a victory. And it doesn't matter from what background you come from, whatever, vic whatever small little thing that you do, it is a victory. Like, like I said, getting out of bed is a victory. Even going outside is another victory. Smiling is a victory. Like that small little thing, smiling. Like smiling is hard to do when you're going through things. But if you are able to smile even for a second, that is a victory. And respect yourself for that. Love yourself for that because you were able to smile. You're going through whatever you're going through, but you were able to smile even for that second. That's a victory within the day. So take that. That's all you need. That little victory for that day is all you need. And if you can get more victories within the day, within the day, do it. But build those small little victories. Victories doesn't mean that you need to get to the top of the mountain. You take one step on a mountain every single day, eventually you get to the top, right? You don't need to climb the whole mountain in, in one day. You take little gradual steps, but take at your own pace. Like, don't compare yourself to others. We're all at different states. We're all at different levels. Like, I wouldn't be able to keep up with someone like Usain Bolt. Like, I would be at my own pace. Like, he can run faster than I am. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to both finish the uh, finish line. I'm just going to get there slowly. But I will still get to the finishing line. But in my own time, just know you would eventually get to your finishing line too. And just do it at your own pace. Don't feel pressured by society. Don't feel pressured by anyone else to speed up your process. Don't, don't speed up your healing process. The healing process is all up to you. Like, no one can tell you you need to heal in three months. You need to heal in a year. You take your own time. Heal in your own time because everyone heals differently. Just sort of love your healing process. Learn to love yourself in that healing process and learn to respect yourself. Self-respect is such an important thing when you're healing and it will grow as the more you start healing. I think we've kind of spoken about what helped you through your healing journey. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that? So definitely 
what I heard was creativity, writing. Um, I think being connected to your faith is, is, sounds like something that helps you through as well. Um, trying to maintain five daily prayers. Um, being connected to your family sounds important to you as well. Um, was there anything yeah. else that you wanted to add to what helped you, you know, to heal? No, I think I've touched on it. Like, honestly, like, when, and two things I want to clarify, family do not always mean blood. Um, that's one thing I always say. Um, family is not always blood. Like, blood is blood. Family doesn't mean blood to me. Family is a group of people that have the same respect that I have for them, the same love I have for them, um, that they will do anything for you. And someone doesn't need to be blood to be your family. And one other thing, in terms of spirituality, um, just a sort of little advice for the listeners out there. Um, you know, even if you pray once a day, one prayer is better than none. Like, even if it's that one prayer, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Because one prayer is still something. Whether you increase in how much you pray, you can let it go into it. But as, as long as you're even doing one a day, that, that's also another victory. Don't let anyone shaft you for saying that you didn't do anything or you didn't do enough for yourself spiritually. Because if you are a better person spiritually than you were yesterday, that's already improvement right there. That's the victory. So that's the two little bits that I wanted to say in regards to that. But I think I touched on all the healing processes for me. Um, as well as I like walking. What do, you, what do you like? I like walking. Like, I literally just like going for long journeys and just walking. Like, it's just my thing. I just like plugging in my AirPods and just going for long walks. Like, you'd be surprised how much you sort of learn to come to terms with what you're going through and accepting things and accepting yourself when you're going for long walks. It's like a sort of way to awaken your mind. Amazing. But don't listen to depressive stuff. <laughs> As you're doing it. Um, I wanted to take you back to what we were talking about with um, friendships before and how you mentioned that you lost something like 90% of, 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 of some of the friends around you. Those that remained, why did they remain? Um, you know, what did they show you, um, you know, that, that, that made them stay in your life? What did you learn from that experience? That's when I learned what friends were actually family. Um, they told me, you know, just because you go down, it, does, it doesn't mean that I leave you drowning it means I need to come and save you. You know, you, you see a person drowning, do you just be like, oh, okay, bye. No, you would do everything in your power to save that person, whether it's throw them a lifeboat, throw them a life jacket, you would do everything in your power to save a person. And that's, and that's the way that my friends saw it. They didn't, they didn't give up on me when I gave up on myself. And that to me was truly inspiring. That showed me what true friendship is it showed me that i was actually loved that people out there do actually care about me and i'm not going to say i don't go through episodes where i kind of still feel alone and stuff like that but i know at the end of the day i have these amazing people that didn't give up on me like it showed me that you know there are people out there in the world that do genuinely care about you like because when i was going through my things just touching on it again trigger warning to anyone listening I was suicidal at a point. 
where I was probably within days of killing myself. So I gave up on myself, but they didn't give up on me. And after sort of slowly healing with them, like certain thoughts that you have when you get to that state is that no one's going to miss me. But then they could have given up on me. But then I learned that through the love that they gave me, they would miss me. So wait a minute, I kind of mean something. And it's when you have that little thing of, I matter in the world, that you start having that initial spark that would then get bigger and bigger and then your flame burns stronger, bigger, but you do need a very supportive circle around you. And one thing that me and my friends always say is, you know, friends, family, they're there with you through the good times, but they will be there with you through the bad times. Like if, if you're a person that has friends that you see are only active with your good times, that like when you're high and you're happy, but the minute you're sad, you're, they're just like, you know, come back to me when you're happy. They're not your friends. You need to start looking for better friends if, you're, if your friends are like that. You need someone to be there for you when you're going through the downs. Because that's, that's the bit where I feel as though friendship is really tested. It's easy to be sort of amongst company that are happy, but it's not easy to be amongst company that's not always happy. It's not easy to be amongst company that are crying. That's when your friendship and your loyalty is tested, I think. And if you, know, if you have friends that are there through that, then you just know you have amazing friends that will do anything for you and know that you're loved and know that if something was to happen to you, you will be severely missed. Um, I think that kind of rounds up my questions. There was another thing I wanted to ask about your rebrand. I hear that you're going through a rebrand. Can you tell us a bit about that? What we can expect? Um, rebrand, rebrand, rebrand. I think I got a little thing, so I'll explain it through this. Um, so this is obviously my little logo. Um, so what that basically means to me is obviously heretic. The reason why it's in gold, um, just to sort of depict my own sort of logo, the reason why it's in gold, gold is seen as that sort of royal thing, you know, you power, you know. <laughs> like all the higher ups have gold, they have a lot of gold. And that's the way I'm starting to see myself. Like I'm starting to love myself again, the way I should have in the first place. So the gold represents my self-worth. Now, these three clothes represent three different things for me. Um, one represents human, um, nobility. This represents um, family, what I was talking about. So nobility, family, and humility, being humble, like, and being humble, like you have to be humble in your life. Like, I think that's so important to be humble. And these are the three things that I want to take with me on the next chapter of my life. Cause you know, I feel as though I've reached a stage where I can start going into a new chapter. I've healed enough, Alhamdulillah. And this slightly changed. It was kind of red here, but I changed it all to purple. Purple is just my favorite color. One of my favorite colors, should I say. And that represents leaving behind pain, leaving behind tears, and leaving behind bloodshed. And the bloodshed represents times that I have hurt myself. So going into my new chapter, I no longer want to hurt myself, whether that is emotionally or physically. I no longer want to hurt myself. Those three things are the next chapter of my life, and that's, that's going to be the heretic. That's the heretic that I want to put out to people that, you know, I'm going to accept. Like, and there's a reason why it's still connected. Because I'm not going to let go of that past. I'm not going to let go of the pain. I'm going to hold on to it. Because that thing there, 
that's that's who I that's who I was, and I, and you need to accept who you was in order to be who you're gonna be. That's the most important thing. Accept who you were in order to grow into the person you want to be. Because if you disconnect from that, you're almost sort of forgetting who you were. You're forgetting about all the times you survived and all the times you evolved because that's a reminder of the way that your mind has evolved in order to better yourself. So hold on to it. Don't dwell upon it. Leave it in the past. Leave it in the back. But use that in order to strengthen and fan the flames of your future. I think what you just said about your kind of vow of not hurting yourself I think that's really really profound because it isn't it isn't as you say just about physical physically hurting yourself but it's also hugely psychological and I think that's an amazing thing for anybody to take forward in terms of thinking I will no longer allow myself to hurt myself I think that's so profound so thank you for sharing all of that um if our viewers or listeners want to know more about you, explore your work, what's the best way of them doing that? Uh, so I'm most active on my Instagram, mm-hmm. which is underscore heretic official, um, which I'm sure you guys will put onto the link in the bio. Um, and also I will be starting up my YouTube very soon. Um, Friday the 30th, inshallah, will be my first release. Um, and yeah, you can catch me on YouTube. Uh, it's www.youtube.com forward slash heretic official, I believe. So inshallah, there will be more content on that page. But obviously, you've got to work on that content. And I- I've been working on a lot. Uh, I've not just been working on, per se, my poetry. There's so many things I want to um, show you guys. I've also been touching on other aspects of art. And there's a lot of, there's basically a lot that I'm planning, inshallah, for the next year. Um, if all goes well, then I'm going to share it with you guys. But my thing is, I'm going to take all my supporters with me. Like, it's not enough for me to heal by myself. I need to heal with the people that were there with me. And that's, that's the most important thing. So I, I hope I can do that. Or I hope I at least can be that pinnacle moment. So, you know, if you're looking to, you know, see, you know, certain, I'm not going to say I'm very positive with my posts. I do accept things like if you do go onto my instagram i do sort of have a few little dark posts but it's all about balance life is all about balance in order for you to see good you need to experience bad and that's what my page is um i don't upload anything triggering or anything like that i try not to do stuff like that i try to avoid it um but yeah follow me on instagram inshallah check me out and you know my dms are always open um i may not always open them straight away but i do like to get to all my dms so you know, feel free to open up to me if you need to. And if I personally can't help you, then inshallah, I will direct you to the networks that I have built and try and find a positive sort of result, uh, positive sort of answer for the positive solution for the answer that you seek. That's what I meant to say. Thank you so much again. Um, I was wondering if there's anything you wanted to say before we, we finish up. Um, I found this a really interesting, eye-opening conversation. So thank you. Um, uh, your po- you, you guys wanted some poetry <laughs> um, I'm hoping that I can find something because um, I don't want to say any of my new stuff um, no of course only if you're comfortable any, anything that you want to share um, you know what let's do 
let's do game guide game game guide is is a piece that i really like it's all about how life is like a game and i kind of take the make out of life in reference to um certain old school games that we might have played i am grateful for the hateful comments i've received in the past i'm grateful to have moved past and past on the place in the game that we call life they can't accept I've grown apart and have taken apart the parts of their strength while they remain at the start. I think it's good to know that it's a doggy dog world, but it's in a game of Ludo. Monopoly monopolizes the mindset that money moves masses and that manifests Melissa's motives to make money quickly. See, life is like a game. Success takes time, you move up and begin to climb. But come across snakes and your plans may falter from King Cobus to Small Puff Alice, call life a game of snakes and ladders. See, they block success, strip away happiness and more. And ask, why do we not connect for? I said, why do we not connect four? Life is full of corpus and those corpus are cats. Products are the cheese we are pleased with materialistic things that we all seem to have become themes with. Gucci jeans and LVs and JD snapbacks. Best clothes to impress to get the snaps back, but be careful to fall into the game of mousetrap. Now call it cheesy, but if I was able to rearrange the alphabet, I would put you and I together, but then you became an X. I was left questioning why. And I thought that brother was a good guy, but I never had a clue though. All those red flags passing by, but I failed to see the clues though. I thought I was in a good circle, I can't lie, but as the game came to an end, I realised I was in the wrong crew though. And I'm still trying to guess who stabbed me in the back so many times, still trying to figure out who murdered me this time. Yes, life is a game, I guess you could call it clue though. I am the dictionary definition, I mean dictionary definition of a broken soul. I may not be the greatest artist, but who says I can't create art with a broken pen? See, I can't take public humiliation because I have temptations to get angry when I'm insulted with shade, but I spin them jaws lyrically, you can call me a Beyblade. And watch me layer R.I.P. and R.I.P. to the devil inside me. You have to expel the devil, pray and ask it to leave you because life is a game, I guess you could call it Ouija. Now let's talk love. I love many things, but love was something my heart couldn't fathom. I used to love an individual with blue eyes, but you see, blue eyes was a dragon. I'm the king of games and you can call me Yami Yugi and I will never let this life beat me. Life is a game and you've got to live it correct. You have to expect the difficulty may change and you just have to go on to accept that there are no cheat codes through life. You can't cheat your way past death. One day you will take your last breath. Yes, life is a game and there really is a game guide. There is more than just one, but my game guide has only just begun. So maybe there will be part two to help you get through and to find closure before your creator decides that it's game over. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you again for joining me. Um, and thank you for being so vulnerable and so open and so honest. Really, really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners and viewers will too. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all the listeners that have gotten this far. I appreciate you. And I got a lot of love for you. And I pray that you guys get you happy ever after all of you guys. Thanks, Heretic. Take care. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast. Inshallah, I will see you on the next one.